Good and gracious God, may the meditations of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. May we have open minds to receive your words. May we be ready to give our hands in service to you in this moment and the next. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The one purpose of God is to save the world. The one thing that God wants to do more than anything else is help you know that God's love and forgiveness and grace have already been given. This is the one purpose of God. And if it's true for us, it's true for everyone. Greg Lear said it a moment ago. It's true for all. For all. There's nowhere you can go in this one life that we live where God will not be found. You can go to the highest heaven, to the deepest, darkest part of Sheol that is a place of the dead, and even there, even there, God will be found. I preached a sermon like this, oh, I started to say one time. It's been several times, many times. But I noted the story from Peter, from his little letter, where he notes that Jesus after he was crucified, descended into hell, and he preached there, and this is the literal translation of the Greek, he preached to the souls there, to everyone who was there. The point of the story is, don't get caught up in the literalism of it, the point of the story is that wherever Jesus goes, the church is called to follow. Jesus was willing to go even into death, even into the depths of hell itself, to find anyone and everyone, and bring them back into the loving arms, loving arms of God. The church is at its best. We are at our best when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, when we go with him wherever he goes, even, even if it means the darkest level of hell. I remember several years ago going to see a man in our church who was dying. His name was Bob, former leader, board member, elder, strong, strong man of faith. His last few weeks alive, though, were very, very difficult. His body was racked in pain. He was agitated often when I saw him, angry at God and, and the world. I got a call from his son saying, I don't think Dad's going to make it through the day. Could you go see him? Of course I will. Hung up the phone, got in my car, drove to see where he was. When I walked in, there was a member of our church. She's an ordained minister. Her name is Mary Linda McDonald. Mary Linda was sitting by Bob at his bedside. She was holding his hand. She was just carefully massaging his hand. The man I'd seen who'd been so agitated and so angry and so upset was obviously relaxed and now very calm. She spoke the words of the Lord's Prayer to him. Words you've heard, you've spoken them today, but there was something mystical, there was something sacred, even more so in that moment. I saw her lean in close to his face, and she whispered in his ear loud enough for us to hear, Bob, you need to know, God loves you. She had descended into a dark and frightening place. And there, in the presence of death, she brought the love of God. Uh, I'll never forget our first mission trip to, to South Africa in 2005. We spent two weeks traveling around that beautiful land, meeting with a variety of churches and mission projects. We were there kind of as an exploratory group to see well, what could our church partner with. Is there something that we could do as, as uh, folks at Country Club Christian Church who could partner with the United Church of, of, Southern, of, of Southern Africa and the great work that they do there? 
we really hadn't found anything that seemed to match with what our skills were and what our gifts were and, and how we could partner with those folks until our very last day when our missionaries, Dawn and, and her husband, John Barnes, said, you've got to come with us. We're going to the Samaritan Care Center. We were tired. We were ready to get on the plane the next day. We kind of wanted to get back to our hotel and relax and rest a little bit, but they insisted, and so, of course, we went. We were brought over to Buffalo Flats Township, extraordinarily poor area, walked up to this dilapidated building, tiny little space, covered in barbed wire. We had to, to carefully open the door and get through. We walked into this very small little two-room hospice, the Samaritan Care Center. It's very dark. There were four patients there, and we met this woman named Rose Mitchell, who's been here to Country Club, by the way. She said to us, when people have AIDS, when people are HIV positive in South Africa, they're oftentimes pushed onto the street. She didn't mean that metaphorically. She meant it literally. People are dying in the streets. The four who are here right now, I've dragged them. And I brought them to this place where they could die, at least hearing words of comfort. She had no medicine. She had no money. She had almost no help. We were just overwhelmed. We, we, we wandered through. We shook hands with some of the, patients, with the four patients. We prayed with them. We went back outside that, that terribly torn down building and we stood in the street and we wept. And then one of the members of the trip came over to me. Tears were just falling off of his face and he looked at me and all, was almost angry. He said, Glenn, this is why we came here. God brought us here to partner with Rose, to do this work, to go with them on their final days. This is why we're here in the the tears just poured off his face. And we partnered with Rose and the United Church of South Africa and the Samaritan Care Center that is now housed in a different space where this beautiful, beautiful woman cares for the patients in their 16-bed facility. Not just that, there's over 100 in the Buffalo Flats, Flats Township who are HIV positive who uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago would have died, but because we partnered, because you all sent us because this church was willing to go to the depths of hell. New life was made possible. Those stories represent the hundreds of moments that I've seen you, Country Club Christian Church, following Jesus wherever he would have us go. You've descended into the darkest places. You've descended into hell. You've gone into prison, to hospitals, sometimes to homes and schools, Sometimes in a quiet conversation in the hallway. Always, always, always ready to bring the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of, of God. One of, one of my favorite movies is an old one. It's from way back in 1984. Uh, uh, 1984, yes, we did have cars back then, for some of you are wondering. The movie was called, movie was called Starman. You better remember that movie, 1984, Starman? Jeff Bridges, the dude, played it. It's a great film, kind of cheesy, but I love cheesy movies. He was an alien sent from outer space to come in and see if the, if, if the world had evolved from violence to peace. They'd been keeping an eye on us for, for thousands of years and wanted to see how they finally gotten there. And as you might guess, he found sort of a mixed bag, but there were some humans who helped him and, and got him back to the place where he would rendezvous with his, with his mother's ship. But as they're waiting for the ship to descend in the Arizona desert, one of the men who had been helping the star man said, what have you found about us? And in his halting voice, he said, you are at your best when things are worst. 
Country Club Christian Church, those words are spoken of you. You are at your best when things are worst. This is a reflection of the Bible, truly. You go and read the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them build their stories around the story of the crucifixion. And yet they conclude and say, violence and death are never the last words. In the spirit of Jesus Christ, they are never the last words. Love will always win. You read the, 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 the prison epistles, the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And you'll find him saying there, in shackles, in chains, probably writhing in pain from the stripes, the wounds on his back, from the beatings. He writes to the church, to the church in Colossae and says, forgive no doubt there was blood of his own hand staining the page that he wrote upon. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven and above, and above all, clothe yourselves in love. He wrote those words from prison where he was beaten for his faith. The book of Revelation, written in a time of turmoil when anyone and everyone who followed Jesus Christ was in danger of losing their job, of losing their life for God's sake. John looked out at that landscape, at that terribly frightening, frightening situation in the world. And what did he say? Remember, in the end of all ends, God will wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow, no more weeping. For God, God's very self, will come home to you. Then you go to the Old Testament and the songs and the psalms, the stories and the, and, and the poetry that is there over and over again are written in times of turmoil and tragedy. Moses goes and stands before the most powerful politician in the world and he utters the simplest and most and clearest sermon ever uttered, let my people go. It was a political sermon. His people were slaves. God's people were slaves. And Moses, without fear, walked down that hall and proclaimed with a singular voice, let my people go. Today he might say, let my people in. Today's text from Jeremiah was written from one of the darkest, most hellish moments in, in Israel's history. The, the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. Everyone has lost someone. Jerusalem itself has been flattened, burned to the ground. Those who survived the attack of Babylon have been dragged off to that place in captivity. There's almost nothing left but Jeremiah and a few other souls. He looks out, though, and he sees not the destruction or the end, but something new springing, springing up from the fire, from the coals and the embers. Uh, much of the reasons why they were destroyed were their own fault. They, they went into some stupid, foolish political allies that made no sense, that went against God's ways. They sort of brought it on themselves. And yet Jeremiah says to them, no longer will God say. No longer will God say, know the Lord. No longer will God wait for you to understand. Instead, God is going to come and write God's law, God's law of love on your hearts. God will make it clear, make it understood, so that when you're, you're breathing and you're eating, loving will be just as normal and natural as anything else you do in life. In fact, the Hebrew word there for right is the word cut. In antiquity, what would happen between from one king sending a message to another king, they'd take a soft stone, they'd use a stylus, and they'd literally cut the words into that stone. They'd cure it, wait for it to harden, and once it was safe, the message could be delivered to the other kingdom. That's what God is saying through Jeremiah to Israel, to us. God has already written God's love on our hearts.
And this God will also forgive our iniquity and remember our sin no more. It's a word about the future. It's a word of hope. It's a word about, about setting before the people of God the opportunity to live in the way that God invites us to live, to love in the way that God knows we are able. Those words for sin there, by the way, to forgive our iniquity and remember our sin no more, are the words in Hebrew, awon and chetah. Chetah is an archery term, frankly. It means to miss the mark. It is if I aim my arrow in that direction for that wall and I miss it and I hit the window instead, I've committed a chetah, I've missed the mark. Now apply that same thinking to your own life. If your aim is to love your wife or your kids... If your aim is to love your husband, your parents, and you miss, it's a chata. It's a sin. Don't get too caught up in that because the very next word that, that Jeremiah uses is a wound. God's going to forget your a wound. A wound means to be bent over, stooped, weighed down. Think of the psychological brilliance of that word. Whenever we commit a sin, whenever we fail to love the way that we know we can, it brings us down, it pulls us down. It's hard to bear. And what Jeremiah is saying is that no longer, no longer will you be held back by your guilt, by your fear, by your sadness. And so we must be gentle with each other, knowing that every one of us carries indeed something heavy. In the, in the novel Zorba the Greek, the young Alexis Zorba is befriended by a, a Turk, a man from Turkey named Hussein Aga, who teaches him, Alexis, I'm going to tell you a secret. Neither the seven stories of heaven nor the seven stories of earth can contain all of God, but a man's heart can contain God. So be careful that you never wound another's heart. The beauty of that lesson is the simple truth that every one of us is carrying something heavy. Every one. Jeremiah is proclaiming the good news of God, of God's forgiveness and, for, and forgetfulness, for God will remember our sin no more. You know, I, I've been preaching this stuff for 30 years. You've heard a lot of it for 14 years. And may I say, I'm still surprised by how many people seem to get stuck on judgment rather than grace, on how often we stay there. Too many have turned the words of, the, of Jesus and the teaching of the Bible into a, a, a sort of a prescription for who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go somewhere where it's warm. And I'm not talking about Mexico. Sometimes I wonder if we Christians prefer judgment. I preached a series of sermons like this once at a little church in Georgia, a little, little, little town of Watkinsville. My final sermon was on the truth of God's love for everyone. And this little lady came to the line afterwards and she said, are you saying no one's going to go to hell? I said, lady, I didn't say that exactly. I said, if there is a hell, God's going to go there and find you and me. I said, I believe in John three seventeen, for God did not send God's son to condemn the world, but to save it. For God did not send God's world to condemn the world, but to save it. I believe God says that, and that God will do it. In this life or the life to come. I believe God's love is more powerful than fear. And she just shook her head and walked away. Theologian Shane Claiborne says, The closer we are to God, the less we want to throw stones at people. Hear, hear that again. The closer we are to God, the less we want to throw stones at other people. If you've got a stone and you're ready to throw it, maybe you need to sit down and look for God first. Because the closer we are, the less we want to judge. God's love is more powerful than fear. 
You know, several years ago when we were arguing in the, in the church, and some still do, well, back in the, in the 80s especially, when the, the conversation in the, the early 90s began to, to go towards, are, are gays and lesbians fully welcomed in the life of the church? Can they fully be welcomed? Can they be servants in the life of the church, ordained and married and, and all that? Well, it was like 30 years ago when that conversation really got going in, in the United States of America, and Jerry Falwell, who's in the resurrection now, was interviewed. And someone asked him, is it possible for gays to be Christians? He said, absolutely not. The reporter doing the interview thought for a moment. He said, if your son declares that he's gay, what will you do? And without hesitating, Reverend Falwell said, I love my son. My son will always be welcome in my home. His love for his son trumped his terrible theology. His love was more powerful than fear. His love was the final word that he would speak. Jeremiah is not only proclaiming this eternal truth of God's love and forgiveness, he's also challenging us. He's challenging you and me to move our faith from childhood to adulthood, from simplistic black and white thinking about who is in and who is out to a grown-up kind of faith that sees the love of God present in the world. This hope named here by Jeremiah is a call to action, is a challenge for us to live this faith, to practice the same forgiveness with each other, to let God's love guide us in everything we do, in every decision, every board meeting, every committee that gathers, every staff conversation, to let God's love be there and let it infuse our entire lives, to let God's love literally be cut into our hearts. And so let me close by saying that you know, we're not supposed to name friends in a service like this. Because as soon as I name one person, well, I've forgotten 817. Or maybe I'm going to name 20 and I'm, I'm going to break the rule. I've seen in you, my friends, the love of God at work in the world. I've seen it in Carla 80. You know, I, I, I tease Carla pretty much every day that we're on the campus together for being bossy and mean. <clears throat> but I got to tell you, I could not have been given a finer colleague or friend. Here in this church, I've seen leaders rise up from the pews like you can't imagine. Maybe you can. Two of them were up here a moment ago. Greg Lear, Phil Love. Finer persons I've never known. Others like Mary McClure, Leanne Blundell, Leslie Holtley, Brummett, Pat Martin, Steve Boo, Bill Hopkins, Scott, and Lauren Lara, Shop, Dan Jensen, and it's a long list. Are you okay? Get comfortable. I'm gonna, I should keep going. All of these folks, our current staff, Chuck and Monica and Joe and Jason and Paul, and I'm going to forget some other members of our team. We've got, it's, it's been an overwhelming blessing for me to work with all of them, to work with, with all of you. But there's one, and I'm going to call him out. I'm going to close with a story about this one. Fourteen years ago, he didn't like something I'd done. He called me up and said, Preacher, we're going to lunch. i got to help you out with some stuff. And he pointed out a couple of things that he thought I'd did wrong, done wrong and needed to correct and fix. It wasn't a very fun lunch. <laughs> he called me up a month later and he said, Preacher, we need to go to lunch again. <clears throat> and so we went to lunch. 
and the list was shorter. And then we went to lunch again. And then we found out that we shared some things in common. He's a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's kid. And we found out we had a lot of things not in common. (laughs) He votes for all the wrong people, I'll tell you. (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm just telling. (laughs) We argued some more about politics and church and stuff. and Doggone it. Somewhere along the way, this old, tough, rough Marine became my friend. He still argues with me. (laughs) And we disagree about some things. But you know what I've seen? I've seen that God reached into my friend Max DeWeese's heart. And that God who loves you and me and the whole world cut into Max's heart the word of love. A few days before his wife Sue passed away, they were married for well over 60 years. Sue told me it felt longer. Shortly before Max and I would stand at the place in the cemetery where her ashes would be placed, she said, Max is so proud to be your friend. And I took her hand and I said, Sue, the finest gift I've ever received is my friend Max. You see, folks, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the one thing that matters, the one thing that matters is the love of God written on your heart, written on mine, written on every human being who's ever lived or existed. The one thing that matters is finding that place where we, despite our differences, whether you're this direction to the left politically or that direction to the right politically or somewhere lost in the middle or don't know what you think or believe, somewhere we've got to find. Sometimes we've got to find it. Some place... There's a church that needs to stand up together and with one voice, with one voice say to the world, we, we love you because God has loved us. Be that church.